This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. The loudest, the biggest, the brashest. New York is its own character in every play. The bad thing about New York is the pressure. You're always under pressure. Here are the stories about those plays. It's New York Accent with Damon Amendolaro. The night of my first practice, I went home. I didn't shower. I didn't brush my teeth. And I didn't eat. I was that tired. Um, and so they were like, what's going to happen the next day? Are you going to come out and be weak? Are you going to ask for subs? Are you going to take some time off? And I came back the next day and I just played as hard as I've ever played and played really good. And that's how I earned respect for my teammates and my coaches. That is very, that second practice and all the noise I was talking just looked like it was just noise. I was just uh, bloviating about nothing. <laughs> John Wallace played just two seasons for the Knicks, but yes, the man made plenty of New York memories, namely his heroic run for Syracuse through the 1996 NCAA tournament all the way to the Final Four and national title game played at the Meadowlands. He was a two-time All-Big East player for the Orange and had some serious battles at the Garden for the Big East tournament as well. But for the ever-rare Final Four played in the New York City region, it'll never happen again, Wallace was back page news. It was the last Final Four played in a basketball arena, now it's always football stadiums, and he carried the four-seeded Cinderella SU to the title game. He was drafted to the first round that June by the Knicks, alongside Walter McCarty and Dante Jones. Remember them? Those guys didn't last long, but Wallace seemed to have the type of game that would stick with the hard scrabble Knicks of the 1990s, and yet he was dealt away in a three-team deal that landed the Knicks Chris Dudley, yikes, after his rookie season. Wallace re-signed, though, as a free agent with the Knicks a couple of years later. His March Madness, why he was unpopular in his first NBA practice, and playing at Madison Square Garden, this is John Wallace's New York accent. This is a safe zone around here, John. The Cuse is in the house. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. I'm an orange. Our producer is an orange. Bryce Gelman, you're an orange. And so we're all in this thing together. John Wallace joins us here on New York Accent. John, how you doing? Hey man, what's up? It's how, how my Cuse brothers doing? It's always good to you know share some stories and love with my Cuse people. Um, I only last in a new house about three days, so you guys, uh, I know that workload that that, <laughs> that it takes to make it through that rigorous uh, uh, course. But once you once you get through it, obviously you have a great job. You, you're kind of set for life once you make it through that new house uh, rigorous program. Was Bayheim going to let you do Newhouse as long as you were at, at school if you wanted to, or was he going to pull you out of it anyway? 
Well, no, it just, I mean, literally the first day of school, as you guys know, it just, you get that, you get the syllabus. I didn't know what a syllabus was at that time. And I'm just like, it was so much stuff on that syllabus. I just called Miss McDonald, who's our academic, academic advisor at the time. I was like, Miss Mac, I got to change this class immediately. So what did you transfer to? Uh, I ended up majoring in sociology. Uh, definitely classes more along my, uh, what I'm actually doing today and using today in terms of learning people and studying, you know, how to learning how to interact with people and kids and different, uh, people from all walks of life. So sociology fit right well, well, very well into what I'm doing today and what I've been doing. When you're growing up in Rochester, it's the heyday of Syracuse's dominance in the Big East in the 1980s. They go to the the Final Four, the national championship game in 87. They're consistently in the tournament, and you're just an hour and change down the throughway from them, from Syracuse. Was there ever a chance you were going to get away and, and not play for the Orange? Uh, no, I mean, Syracuse is always kind of in my heart. Honestly, in 10th grade, I was leaning towards Providence. Ran for Schiller and Rick Barnes did a really good job of recruiting, and my mom really liked them a lot. But ultimately, I wanted to stay close to home. The, the style of play that Syracuse uh, played was fit right perfectly with the way I played. And trying to emulate Derek Coleman and Billy, I mean, Billy went number three overall in, uh, in uh, 1991. So I was right on the heels of those guys, so I was looking up to them, you know, more than anyone else at that time. That I, I, I watched every game, watched every the way they moved, everything. Like I was trying to emulate everything they did. Talk to us about Billy Owens, because everybody remembers Derek Coleman, and there's been a lot of great Syracuse players that have come before and after. But Billy Owens was thoroughly dominant, and because he didn't have a great NBA career, people might forget. But just how good was Billy Owens at the collegiate level? Well, I mean, Billy is like a six-nine point guard. He was, he was so good that you know he was able to do the things like Magic Johnson, score the ball, really good at assists. Him, you know, went on. But I mean, just a dominant player, one of the greatest high school players in the world. Times in the high school Hall of Fame. Uh, seeing him on Syracuse campus the first time, it was just like seeing a like an alien to me. It was just like. You know, I just stopped in your tracks. I remember exactly where I was. He was coming out of a Greek Greek concert. And he just he was just uh someone I wanted to be like. But Billy, you know, Billy was so good, man. He, he you know, he didn't have a great NBA career, but he had a long NBA career. Anytime you're able to play in the NBA for longer than four or five years, you've had a long career and you and you get a great pension. <laughs> <laughs> Let us not forget about the about the pension. In 1996, it all comes together, and your team goes on a dramatic run to the Final Four and the National Championship game. You end up playing the Final Four in East Rutherford at the Meadowlands, and so there's tons of Syracuse fans there. You play the iconic 96 Kentucky Wildcats squad, and you are the heartbeat of that team. You're the star of that team. I'm sure you still have people that talk about this run with you, 96, but what was that entire experience like to be, again, the centerpiece of a Cinderella run to a national championship game? Well, honestly, the, you guys went to Syracuse. There's, there's no better place to, to go to school from a social life, social standpoint. And then uh, if you add in, you know, going to the Final Four, which is the greatest party night 
in Syracuse history for us. I mean, we, you know, coming back and making that run and because uh, no one had us going to the Final Four that year. So it was like it came out of nowhere. We expected to be there. We we spoke about how we felt like the the once we the tournament, the brackets came out, we felt like we thought we were going to play UConn eventually. And then UConn lost to Mississippi State because we wanted to get some get back because UConn beat us in the Big East tournament that year. So we were focused on, all right, we win this game, win this game, we get a chance to get back at UConn in the Final Four. UConn loses to Mississippi State, so we end up beating Mississippi State in the Final Four and losing to Kentucky in the Final. But the whole Final Four run, the whole experience, um, there's nothing like it. Any any college player who's played in the, in the Final Four would tell you there's no experience like being the Final Four teams in the country and everyone's watching you. There, there's nothing better than you taking a step further to make it to that championship game. It just there's nothing like it, man. So I, ultimately, you want to win that game. We didn't win, but just the experience and everything that goes with it was 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 unbelievable. It's something that my friends and I we still talk about to this day. For those of us on the outside, we see Jim Beheim as a crusty old guy that complains a lot and rails on the refs and can't stand the media. But yet it is very obvious that the players that played for him have a very tight bond. There's a true love. We see this with yourself, Carmelo, Derek Coleman, guys come back and there is a real cherished bond between the two. So what is it that you guys have with Jim that we just don't see on the outside? Well, Coach Beheim is the ultimate players coach. He is the ultimate players coach, almost to a fault. He loves his players. He would do anything for his players. And we we feel that. And and it's not just while you're there. It's when you leave there and you come back. It's always love. Um there's I, I you know, obviously we feel we're we're slightly biased because we went to Syracuse, but we we honestly do have the greatest fans in the world. I get the type of love when I go back today and tomorrow, whatever I go back. It's like I'm still playing. It's like I just dropped 30 the night before. That's the feeling that the Syracuse fans give you. Yeah, we were just talking about the Syracuse fans, and then you come out of 96, and you get drafted on draft night by the New York Knicks. National Championship game and Final Four are held in East Rutherford at Brendan Byrne Arena, and then the draft that night in 96 is at Brendan Byrne Arena as well, isn't it? Yep, East Rutherford, yep. Okay, so how about all these connections? You grew up in Rochester to the state of New York. You played in Syracuse. The Final Four is in East Rutherford. The draft is in East Rutherford. You get drafted by the New York Knicks. It's just a whole big New York thing happening for you from the time you grew up to the time that you get drafted into the NBA. Are are you excited about getting drafted to a team that had just been to the NBA Finals a couple of years earlier and was one of the best teams of the 90s? Yeah, I mean, getting drafted by the Knicks at that time was incredible for me. It meant everything to me, um, being a part of that story franchise and coming in with Patrick Ewing and those guys meant everything to me. It feels like you were the perfect fit for the 90s Knicks because you were willing to do the dirty work. You had a physical game as well, and it felt like you really connected as a young guy with some of the veterans that were there. Did you feel like you were a good fit for that locker room and the style of play that the Knicks had in the 90s? 
Absolutely. I felt like I right in. There was no, uh, it was like a seamless transition for me in terms of the style of playing the Big East and that, you know, being physical back then and fitting right in with the NBA style. Obviously not as physical as, uh, as the NBA and the Big East, but a, a certain level of physicality that gets you ready for the NBA uh, rigors and having the, the, the type of people on the team that I came in with, with Ewing and those guys, if you weren't ready, you just were gonna you were just gonna get eaten up. So you you had to get yourself ready in a in a in a very fast way, or you just weren't gonna be able to survive or make it because they didn't care if you weren't ready or not. You had to get ready. You you had, you, you you come in, you watch the veterans how they work out, how hard they work out, how often they work out, and you try to implement that into your own regiment. And if you're able to do that, you'll have a better you know a better career. You had a class of three different collegiate players in 96 that all got drafted by the Knicks in the first round. It was yourself, Walter McCarty from Kentucky, and then also the the Knicks took Dante Jones from Mississippi State, all Final Four teams and Final Four players. But you lasted the longest there. What do you think it was about your game that you were able to stick with the Knicks and get the respect of the veterans more than the other guys that you were drafted with? I think it honestly started with my very first NBA practice where I looked as weak as I've ever looked by throwing up. And I was talking a lot of noise about what I was going to do to everyone. And I, my very first practice, I looked weak. But my second practice, I responded. I came back stronger than ever. And that earned me my playing time that year and respect for my teammates because they were interested to see how I was going to respond. Because the night of my first practice, I went home. I didn't shower. I didn't brush my teeth. And I didn't eat. I was that tired. Um, and so they were like, what's going to happen the next day? Are you going to come out and be weak? Are you going to ask for subs? Are you going to take some time off? And I came back the next day and I just played as hard as I've ever played and played really good. And that's how I earned respect for my teammates and my coaches. That, is very, that second practice, my first practice, I, I looked like I was, you know, ready to not, you know, to get be out the NBA like the next day because I just – I just had a very bad practice and didn't play good. And all the noise I was talking just looked like it was just noise. I was just uh, uh, bloviating about nothing. <laughs> this is amazing. You were trash-talking a veteran Knicks team before you'd even practiced once as a rookie with them? Yeah, that's just that's just the way I came in, man. Um, and, you know, we had we had did some five-on-five five runs, and I was playing both, you know, in the five-on-five. Five. What you real what you realize is you know you're playing pickup ball is one thing, but when you're doing practice when you're when practice starts and you gotta you're doing drills, you're going to this drill and this drill. When we did the three on two, two on one continuous and the root the veterans taught me a lesson. Every time I came to the sideline to get a break, they didn't let me. So that's why I threw up. I didn't get a break because I was talking noise. So they they taught me a lesson that very first practice. Shut your mouth and work hard. <laughs> Yeah, that's a good lesson to catch, and you'll catch it real quick from veterans like Ewing and Oakley and Starks and ultimately Chris Childs on that team a couple of years later, and that was an intense group, man. I got to tell you, that is the dog of the 90s Big East coming out from you. If if you yeah. felt like you could get to the NBA and start trash-talking a bunch of guys that were in the finals <laughs> two years early, that means, that means the Big East was deep within you. No doubt, man, no doubt. That's fantastic. So when you were playing in Madison Square Garden under the banners, the world's most famous arena, et cetera, what was that rookie season like for you? It was special. That was our I felt like that was our best team and 
if we didn't get in a fight with the Miami Heat in the playoffs that year, I think that was our best chance of beating the Bulls. We split with them that year two and two. We matched up very well with them, and, and we liked our chances going into the playoffs uh, of being able to beat the Bulls. And unfortunately, we lost to the Miami Heat after the, the fight broke out and the NBA staggered the suspensions of our team, which basically left us in a very uncompromising situation. And it was it was very tough, man. Very, very, very tough. To, it still bothers me to this day because that team was really good that we were on, and we just didn't get a chance to even go against the Bulls that year because we lost to the Heat. You played on a bunch of different teams throughout your NBA career. The Knicks, you came back to the Knicks a couple of seasons later after a stint with the Raptors, the Pistons, the Suns, the Heat. So what was unique about playing in New York versus your other stops in the NBA? Well, there's there's nothing like New York. It's that it's the mystique, it's the it's the fans that are very knowledgeable about the game itself. It's the intensity that the fans you know, come to the game with it's it's the intensity that you can walk into you can walk into a fan on the streets in New York and they will talk to you like they coached. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too, with the name your price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. <laughs> Last night, and they will give you advice. They will, they will give you, you know, you, 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 you like, you're a banker? Like, could be giving you banking advice right now? <laughs> but you got to love New York for that, man. You got to love it. <laughs> you had mentioned at the outset of our conversation about a background in sociology and so working with people, you're an executive board member of the Heavenly Productions Foundation, which is a charity whose mission is to help children in need and in distress as well. You work with young people. You work with people in general that, that are in positions of need sometimes and so tell me about those projects and how that fits your personality and, and your background well i just if i feel like it's important for uh athletes entertainers celebrities idols whatever you want to call them to kind of give back and help people who might look up to you help people who might want to be like you or try to be walking your shoes or try to emulate you so it's, it's your job and your duty to kind of give back and try to lead and teach them uh, even better than you were. So you can, when they do get to that position, they're able to thrive and flourish in it. So I think that's our job and our duty and being a part of heavily production has been awesome for me. Being part of the garden of dreams with MSG has been incredible. Uh, just, you know, the Madison square garden family has done so much for myself and my family. And there's, they're one of the biggest charitable, philanthropic organizations in the world in terms of the Garden of Dreams at Madison Square Garden and everything they do. So being a part of that, I'm just I'm kind of getting by association, I'm getting uh, all this credit for things that I just um, part of companies and part of foundations are doing it on their own. I'm just trying to help out and lend and help in any way and anywhere I can. You know, every time that, that me and, and my classmates see 
the things that you're doing, it's like, yeah, man, that's that's a Syracuse guy right there. Like he's looking to give back. He's he's just he's got his head put on straight. So I appreciate that. I know a lot of my classmates appreciate that as well. You you wave the banner well, man, and and you do great stuff. So thank you. Thank you, man. Appreciate the love. There's nothing like Syracuse people, you know, uh, that all started with Jim Brown. All this, uh, you know, being bigger than the sport and being talking more about, you know, than you, just yourself, uh, talking about uh, things that are going on on the world, that's fortunate or whatever. Ned and Brown embodied that to the fullest, and we all kind of, you know, trying to follow his footsteps. Yeah, for sure. Jim Brown was larger than life in a lot of ways, not just on the football field, but what, what he meant yeah, to a lot of people in a lot of different ways. John, this is a lot of fun, man. Thank you so much. The cues in the house. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. This is awesome. John Wallace represented a chapter of true greatness for Jim Beheim and Syracuse basketball that was kind of the last dash of the 80s greatness. And then, of course, he would rejuvenate the whole program with that 03 national championship. It's funny, though, looking at his Knicks career because, frankly, I thought he played longer for the Knicks. I remember actually when he was drafted very vividly because I was at East Rutherford. I was in the Meadowlands for that draft, the, the classic 1996 NBA draft that had incredible stars like Ray Allen, like Allen Iverson, and like Kobe Bryant among others. Steve Nash was drafted in the 96 draft. It was an amazing, amazing night of future NBA legends. Wallace was one of three Knicks drafted in the first round that year, and there was a sense that even though they were a couple of years removed from the 1994 NBA Finals, this was a team that was still loaded, ready to go back to to try to do battle in the 90s with the Bulls and, and the rest of the Eastern Conference powerhouses. The, the Heat were becoming a powerhouse that three players, all that played to the final four, somebody was going to step up and maybe all of them to be kind of rugged frontline players for the Knicks. That obviously never happened. But I had forgotten that John Wallace was dealt away in the Chris Dudley deal. There's a three-team trade following Wallace's rookie season that brought back Chris Dudley. And, you know, Ultimately, Wallace only played that first year with the Knicks, then played two years in Toronto, and then came back as a free agent in 1999-2000. That was the year after they went to the NBA Finals. So it, it was only 128 games played for John Wallace. There was 68 in 96-97 his rookie year, and then 60 in 99-2000. But it, it just it feels like he was a Nick for longer. And... He really did seem to kind of understand how to fit in with the the veterans. I loved hearing those stories about how the veterans really made life a living hell on the rookies. And that '90s Knicks team that was those guys were no joke. We had Chris Childs obviously on the on the podcast a couple of months ago during the playoffs when the Knicks were embroiled with the Heat once again in the postseason, and it brought back such a wave of memories of the types of guys that played on that team, that led that team. And, and I thought Wallace always handled himself well, which is funny because he became adopted by the veterans, and yet that first practice, as he just described, he was talking trash, and he got them all riled up, and they said, who is this kid? And boy, that is just the pure Big East coming out, right? That Wallace grew up and became a, a standout college basketball player by battling the best of the Big East. And when you did that, I mean, you were used to elbowing your way in and, and making sure that everybody knew who you were. 
that national title game that Syracuse lost against Kentucky in 96, that Kentucky team, the unbeatables, had five first-round picks. Antoine Walker, Walter McCarty to the Knicks, Ron Mercer, Tony Delk, and Derek Anderson. So that was an iconic, great Kentucky team and the only one that Rick Pitino won a national championship with at Kentucky. Tubby would win the other one a couple of years later. But, I mean, there were some battles, some angry battles of the Big East at Madison Square Garden for the Big East Tournament involving Syracuse and UConn and Ray Allen versus John Wallace and and many others. And so that was kind of a glorious time if you were a college basketball fan to be at the Big East Tournament. Danielle Marshall was a UConn standout. Lawrence Moten was a Syracuse standout. And they just, they had some really epic battles in in those years. And some great teams all across the Big East, the old Big East, which really was a special place, especially during the the NCAA tournament. So fun conversation with John Wallace. Hey, thanks for subscribing and listening. If you don't subscribe, you can do that by simply hitting the subscribe button. This is a weekly installment, so we'll hit you up next Tuesday with another New York-centric interview. So until then, you can catch me weekday mornings on CBS Sports Radio. Our executive producer is Bryce Gelman, and New York Accent is an original Odyssey podcast. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Odyssey is giving you a chance to win a trip to London to see Taylor Swift at the Eras Tour. It's Tay in the UK. Hey, it's Taylor. Just download the free Odyssey app, log in and listen to a participating station for a minimum of 60 minutes to get your daily entry. And you could win a chance to fly off to London with three friends and see Taylor. I can't wait to see you at the Eras Tour in London. For more, go to odyssey.com slash Taylor. Tay in the UK. It's on the Odyssey app. Thanks to Republic Records. This is a national contest. Hey.